The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations from listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely online at kopn.org. Thank you. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today I am honored and delighted to welcome my guest, Ms. Navina Khanna. She is co-founder and executive director of the HEAL Food Alliance. HEAL stands for Health, Environment, Agriculture, and Labor. It's a national alliance of organizations building collective power for transformed food systems across race, sector, and geography. Ms. Khanna holds an MS in International Agricultural Development and a BA in Agroecology and Ethnomusicology. For over 20 years, Ms. Khanna has cultivated justice through food and farming systems, working as an educator, community organizer, facilitator, and more. A first-generation South Asian American living in Oakland, California, on occupied Ahoni land, Ms. Khanna's worldview is shaped by migration and grounded in movement. Welcome, Navina. I'm so glad to be here with you, Melinda. Thanks for having me. Well, I've been aware of HEAL, and I most recently heard you speak at the Ohio Ecological Food and Farming Association Conference, and I thought you'd make a terrific guest But before we dive into your food system work, I really want to know what led you here. What led to your interest in food and agriculture? Hmm. So great question. Not the easiest story to tell. But essentially, I will say that as a teenager, as many teenagers do, I had a lot of questions about why the world was the way that it was and why there were the kinds of inequities that I was seeing, particularly as someone who had moved from the U.S. to India and spent my teenage years there, really seeing the global disparities and trying to make sense of the world in different ways. And I was fortunate, as so many of us are, to have a high school teacher who really, really cared about his students and really wanted us to, you know, understand the world in a way that was bigger than us. And he took us on a field trip where we were, uh, this is an ecology class. Uh, This is my senior year of high school. We were on a field trip and we're having just a lot of conversations about human relationship with nature. And one of the things we were talking a lot about was the concept of of wilderness and us being separate from nature and agriculture or settled agriculture as kind of this turning point, right, where we decided as people to dominate over nature and try to control how things grew, how they lived, how they died, instead of living in relationship with nature in ways that indigenous people have done historically for thousands of years. And really thinking about agriculture as a turning point and many of the systems of separation from each other, separation from the land, separation from ourselves as wrapped up in our relationship to food and land is what first got me interested in agriculture and wanting to change the ways that I understand and the rest of us understand both where our food comes from and how we can relate more directly to that. And I'll spare you all the details of the very long journey, but essentially, as a young person in college, I studied sustainable agriculture and permaculture and 
started really getting into conversations around around agriculture and the food system. And I found as I moved through as I moved through the world in that space that very often I'd be one of the only brown people in the room. This is, you know, thinking about like early two thousands, one of the only brown people in the room talking about sustainable agriculture, one of the only people bringing up issues of social justice. And so for me, and we can talk more about details of how things have evolved over the last 20 years, but for me, part of what started to seed the idea of heal and us being able to come together to build something powerful in this country really had to do with wanting to find a space where we could be intersectionally thinking and be building our power together to make change. Mm, Yeah. So often we're pitted against each other rather Mm -hmm. than having this understanding that we are more powerful when we come together. You have a great quote on your website. It says, food is our most intimate, powerful connection to each other, to our cultures, and to the earth. And to me, this seems when I read it, it's beautiful. And I say to myself, yes, this is so true. And then I start wondering, how common is this understanding? In your work in organizing, how common do you find this way of thinking? I think if we get out of the mindset of being an isolated movement, and we just look at what it means to be in family and to be in community, almost Everywhere you look, people come together over food, Mm. right? Over food traditions or like, come over to my house, (laughs) have a meal in non-pandemic times. And in so many of our cultures, like every Asian culture you can think of, so many cultures all over the world, like the way that we express love for each other is by feeding each other, right? We we brag about, (laughs) you know, like our mom's best food or an amazing recipe that we came up with. And so much of the richness of conversation and community building and what it means to really nourish each other happens through food, right? So one of the things I think that we don't always connect the dots around, but that's true for, you know, people like me, people whose families immigrated here, people who are finding their connections to culture, so much of that happens through food, right? Right. Um, And I think we can look historically to so many social movements, whether we're talking about something like the Black Panther Party or the lunch counter sit-ins or so many different kinds of organizing have have actually happened around food or ideas been born around people coming together over food. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, I'm the granddaughter of immigrants, so I, too, saw food being very central at the table. And I think because my grandparents had experienced hunger being able to have food on the table and feed the the extended family was huge. Mm-hmm. And food is just so incredibly powerful, as you so well capture on the HEAL website. And I will, of course, provide a link to that for everyone because I want people to go there. It's HEALFOODALLIANCE.org. We could take this in many different directions. Of course, I think we both agree that taking that one step further then and saying, well, gosh, I wonder who produced the food. And I wonder what those conditions were like for that person and how that influences our relationship with the food. I remember at one point, I think it was after I did a Food and Society Policy Fellowship, that just one of the other fellows 
told me that it's really nice if you're serving a meal to put a little name tag by the food to say who grew it and where it came from. And that was like an, an aha moment to me because I'd never done that before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's the other piece of this, right, is not just not just each of us knowing who grew our food or where it came from, but really understanding that the roots of the system that we're living in right now, the, the dominant culture that we're in right now, is based on what is our food system. And when we look at the historical context of these United States, of course, the origin story of this country is around the theft of land and the cultural and physical genocide that was committed against indigenous people to this land who were living in right relationship with the land, right? And had the dominant food system at that time was one that was nourishing. And of course, the next thing that we saw was the kidnapping and enslavement of people from Africa to work the land and to calcify this idea of a food system that could be based on the exploitation of a group of people, the extraction of their labor and the extraction from land. And so when we think about the cultural context that we're living in now, where we are actually so, most people are are actually very removed from land, right? Most people do not have control over their own labor. We don't have the means or the right to produce or procure our own food in so many ways. And so much of that really is because of our food system and its foundations that have laid out why we live in this cultural context now that is, again, just so far removed from what we could have. Right. You mentioned right relationship. How would you define that? Mm. I learn all the time from from so many people who have been living on the land that their ancestors have been on or who have really deeply come to know the place that they're in. To me, living in right relationship with land and, and how I understand it is that we are respectful of the natural systems that we that we understand that there's a delicate balance to our ecosystem and that the the interrelationship between the elements that allow life to thrive that 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 is that is a sacred and delicate relationship that needs to be nurtured and that we're part of that relationship right that we either are giving to it and giving to life and allowing our own lives and the life around us to thrive or we're disassociating from it and disturbing it and disrupting it. And, you know, we can see very clearly now that as a result of that, we have, we have climate chaos and we have so many other crises that our communities are facing. It's not easy for us to be in right relationship with land, right? Like we're, most of us are now living in urban environments, just struggling to, to make rent, you know, and to, have a meal on the table and to take care of our families and things like that. But getting to a place where we really can understand and being in synergy with the natural world and understand ourselves as part of it, I think is what it is to be in right relationship. Right. And I think you touched on something really important, and that is all of these crises that have culminated, and we've seen culminate over the past year, and that how we can look at these crises and we can say, okay, it's time for transition. And where do we start with that? Because there's so many layers 
that need to be addressed. And I like the way you've really distilled through HEAL, you know, looking at health, environment, agriculture, labor, you enable us to see how everything is connected. Mm -hmm. So let's say you are getting into an elevator and somebody says, oh, Navina, yeah, I've heard about you. You're with the HEAL Alliance. What is that exactly? Mm -hmm. What would you say? Uh in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, I say that HEAL is an alliance of organizations around the country who are working on different aspects of transforming our food system. So trying to make it so that everybody has good food that they can afford, that workers are treated fairly all along the food system, and that we're growing and getting our food in ways that are not harmful to the planet or to the environment. And all these organizations that work on different parts of our food system through HEAL are coming together and organizing on a set of campaigns and programs and building power together, knowing that we're all impacted by the same system of corporate control and systemic racism and knowing that we are stronger together and that we can do more together than any one of us can do alone. Mm. Let me take one break because we're halfway through and remind our listeners that if you're just joining us, you're tuned into Food Sleuth Radio. We are speaking with Ms. Navina Khanna. She is co-founder and executive director of the Heal Food Alliance. I want to talk about a piece of your website that I truly enjoy, and it's a piece that you also brought up at the OFA conference, and that has to do with messaging and language. Yeah. There was an interview in the Sun Magazine back in 2013 with a former member of the Black Panthers who spoke about if we're going to change public policy, then we have to change the way we think. And the way we do that is through language. And you have a fantastic messaging guide that I think would be helpful for all of us to sit down and look at and question the language and words that we use. And they're just little tweaks but they make a tremendous difference. And I'm going to give an example, and you can elaborate on that or bring forth more. But something simple like, you know, we talk about workers, workers in agriculture, workers in the food system, and you say, no, 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 say working people, because that forces us to see workers as human beings. Yeah. So I'll say a couple of things about that. One of them is, is yes. Our food system has dehumanized the people who work the land and work the system in all kinds of ways. And so part of our job, if we're trying to transform our food system and transform our relationships, is to rehumanize ourselves and each other and everybody who's a part of that system. I also really want to give credit where credit is due and say that we learned a lot of that from ASO Communications. So folks should also check out ASO Communications and their brilliant work on how we build a strong race and class narrative that brings us all together to to really be able to name the problem together and organize towards shared solutions that work for all of us, right? We know that, and this is ASO's language, right? We know that no matter who we are, no matter where we come from, no matter what we look like, we all want to know that our communities, our families will be healthy and safe and thrive, right? So then together, we can look at who's responsible for making it so that we are not able to do that 
right? And we know right now that it's a small handful, in, in the case of our food system, it's a small handful of corporations and greedy politicians who are profiting from the food system being the way that it is. And most of us really are not benefiting from this. And that, that's the choice that we don't have to make, right? So what we are trying to do together through our messaging, through our narrative, is then identify the solutions that we can put forward together. And so many of these are rooted in the wisdom and experience and knowledge of Black, Indigenous, and people of color communities and frontline communities who have been hardest hit by the negative impacts of our food system and agricultural system being the way that it is and hold so much of the solution to how we can change things. Yeah. So I want to shout out ASO Communications for really helping us clarify how we talk about that. And of course, our brilliant, amazing communications team at HEAL and all of our members who have helped shape that messaging guide. And, and, and we really do hope that people will use it to tell the story. I can see so many faults that I have made in my own language. For example, I just had a discussion about living wage and this whole idea of raising wages raises the hackles of business owners. And so the messaging guide says, no, you know, instead talk about fairness, right? A fair return on work or people who work for a living ought to earn a living. That creates less barriers, I think, when we're having this conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's real, right? None of us goes to work trying to be exploited, right? We all want that sense of belonging and we all want to feel like our lives and our time is worth something, right? That we have a purpose in what we're doing. So when we talk about just getting a fair return, getting what we deserve, right? As human beings, um, it's part of just trying to make that so clear. And feeling worthy of deserving Mm -hmm. fairness, I think that's also been bled out of so many people who are working at the bottom, we're just repeatedly made to feel for many reasons that perhaps they're not worthy of anything more. And you spoke so clearly at the OFA conference also, and you asked important questions that I don't know that we're talking about, like who holds the power right now? And what are we all losing because of that? And then having a vision and who's benefiting from this system and who isn't. And then, of course, what is politically possible? What do you think is politically possible? Yeah, I think right now we're in a moment where we actually can do more than we've ever been able to do before. And I think that that's the case not only because we not only because, you know, we have a new administration, we have a new Congress, we have this political opportunity happening on a federal level, but also because I think people in general are sick and tired of living the ways that we have been, right? And if we even just take a look at what's happened over these past few weeks with the egregious murders that have happened, right, the police brutality that we've seen, and that thankfully George Floyd's murderer, Derek Chauvin, has been held accountable for for one murder. And that's only the seventh person in like 15 years, seventh police officer in like 15 years is actually being held accountable for a murder that they've committed, right? And I think what people all over this country are, you know, Black people have been saying this forever, (laughs) and thankfully other people are also saying this now too, that this war on Black people, the war on people of color, 
has to end, right? Because mm-hmm. that war is not just about the violence from police and the killings that we've seen of folks like Dante Wright and Mike Kia Bryant. I'm sorry, I want to say her name correctly. Not just folks like that, but it's also a war that takes the form of who has access to land, who has access to food, who has access to housing, who has access to, like you're saying, a sense of worth and the ability to, to like, be in joy, right? <laughs> to thrive and be in joy. And all of us deserve that. And I think that COVID has really illuminated for so many people that our lives are worth something. And I think it's, it's really up to us to make the most of this moment, particularly as the, we're starting to see some reopening or renormalization of the ways that we socialize with each other because of vaccinations and the surges coming down in this country and things like that, that we really hold to heart many of the things that we've been saying around you know, everybody's labor being essential, everybody's life being essential, our own lives and our own time, like you said, being worthy. So I, I think in this moment, more is possible than there was before, but it, it's really up to all of us to fight for that. It's not going to happen on its own. It's not just like windows come and they go. And if we don't make the most of these moments when we have them, we lose them. And I think it's important for us all to remember that the side that has been benefiting from the exploitation of so many of our communities, that they've been holding the long view, right? They have plans in place and they've, they're always working their own messaging machine to take advantage of these moments, right? Like when we, when we talk about something like our narrative guide and the way that we're trying to shift story, we're up against a multi-billion dollar messaging machine that's telling us all the time that our sense of value and worth comes to how much money we spend on our cars, right? What kind of shoes we wear, whether we have the latest software, you know, like things like that. And it's really up to all of us to tell a different story now and claim something different right now um, while we have this moment and this opportunity to do that. Yeah. And I think your website is a really great place where people can go to start thinking about how we are going to create exactly what we need. You know, speaking of Derek Chauvin, I have to say, I wonder what creates such hatred in a human being towards another. And again, that gets back to your website and looking at how we speak and communicate and how we find community. And what is our society missing so much of that we would create human beings that could be so cruel to another human being? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's your answer to that? I've been thinking a lot about it, actually. And, you know, what creates bullies, for example? How far upstream, you know, thinking of a public health model where you have to go upriver to really find the solution. We can be throwing Band-Aids as much as we want farther downstream, but until we step up and say, how was this person created? What went wrong in their lives to allow them to be exploitive or cruel I think that's where we have to look, or at least that's where my focus is going. I was intrigued by your bio, actually, because you write that where you find joy is immersed in soil, music, and community. And I think about those factors that are missing 
in so many of our lives. We are, of course, the the pandemic made us lose a little bit of our community in terms of face-to-face. We found other ways to have virtual communities, of course. But I think that Americans here in the United States, you know, it's like that book, Bowling Alone, where we find ourselves at a loss of community or feeling of belonging. And I think the fact that you find joy in working in the soil and with music and movement, those are all curative formulas for a healthier society, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, I think that there's, there's, it's complicated, right, as is everything. There's no magic bullet to solving hundreds of years of getting to where we are right now. I think I just, I feel a little bit cautious and defensive when we talk about what an individual needs to not become a bully. I think so much of the story that we're told through the mainstream media when I'm just, you know, going to take what we've all been seeing, the horrific gun violence that we've all been seeing over far too long, but particularly in these last few weeks. And more often than not, it is a white male, right, who's committing these mass murders. And we we get told a whole story about him and his mental health and where he fell off and how he should have been supported better, right? But the truth is that he and white men in this country have been told for hundreds of years that they are, that they are the most valuable people, right? That all the systems and structures that we have are set up for them to succeed. And we absolutely need to be looking systemically at that, at what they are always told is that they are worth more Mm -hmm. than women, that they are worth more than black people, that they are worth more than indigenous people or other people of color. And rather than, Rather than coddle them more as individuals, I think we really need to, you know, dismantle these this idea of white supremacy, right? That we're mm-hmm. all living in right now, that we're all steeped in right now. We really need to dismantle that and, co- you know, collectively move towards the place where people who look like me can feel safe walking around, right? Absolutely. Um, People, people who are black and brown can, can do that. And when we think about you know, who we're centering and whose leadership and whose solutions we're pointing to, I think that we need to be really careful not to overcompensate in taking care of, taking even more care of white male fragility uh, mm. and really embrace and celebrate the leadership, the joy, the lives, the communities. Um, that have been suppressed and oppressed and exploited for so long. Navina, I really appreciate your comments and this discussion, and it all started around food, (laughs) proving our earlier point. You know, unfortunately, we're out of time, but I want to bring everyone again back to your website for so many lessons about how we as a community can heal see each other's worthiness, no matter the color of our skin, our sex, our orientation. And that's healfoodalliance.org. So in closing, I need to thank our listeners for joining us. I want to remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn for KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri, 
Most of all, I want to thank my beautiful guest, Ms. Navina Khanna. What a beautiful thinker and co-founder and executive director of the Heal Food Alliance. Thank you so much for your time today, for being my guest, and for thinking through the crises that we face together. Thanks so much for having me, Melinda. Um, I appreciate you.